Let me thank Dr. Chisman for inviting me and the Cecil Trust, Cyril's Trust, and let me also thank the warden for his very warm welcome. Let me, of course, thank all of you who have made out time to come and listen to what I have to say. But perhaps I'd like to start also by saying that this is not a very good time to be a leader. Whatever part of the world you find yourself today, our world is changing so quickly, so rapidly. The demands of the human civilization are becoming more compelling on the people entrusted with public office and leadership. But as I've told my colleagues, there will never be a good time to lead. So indeed, we must lead now. I'm also told that Cecil Rhodes, after whom this institution is named, was once asked how long he thought his fame would endure in memory. I was told that he replied with natural modesty of the British, I give myself 4,000 years. <laughs> well, for the past four years, I have had the great privilege of being governor of Lagos. Unlike Cecil Rhodes, I have no great ambition to be remembered in 4,000 years' time. But indeed, if by the end of the four years of my second term of office, I've been able to do something to enhance the reputation of the great city-state that I lead, I shall feel that I have spent my time in a very worthwhile way. Many of us are all too familiar with the images of Africa as a continent which gets itself into the international news largely because of wars, corruption, natural disasters, hunger and poverty. Indeed, nobody would deny that there are challenges in Africa, and indeed in my state, Lagos. But I don't have to tell this audience that alongside all the difficulties, Africa can boast great assets, significant achievements, and enormous opportunities. And in all of Africa, I would contend that the place where the opportunities are greatest are in my state, Lagos. Lagos is a mega city. The United Nations definition of a mega city is a conurbation of more than 10 million people. Lagos currently has 18 million people. And the United Nations indeed estimates that in another three years, around 2015, Lagos will have a population of 25 million people. That will make it the third biggest city in the world bigger than anywhere else except Tokyo and Mumbai. Of course, it is a challenging environment. It is challenging to find jobs, to find homes, to get enough roads, to get enough schools, and to get enough hospitals for all these people. But as the city-state expands and flourishes, it offers huge opportunities, opportunities both for our own people and for visitors and investors. We have a long history of international trade with Europe, starting from the Portuguese. Many centuries back that was, and later with the British. Indeed, our latter relationship with the British has endured the most and still thrives till today. Improved trade relations and cooperation have been the high points of discussions and meetings that we have had lately 
with leaders of your government. I am a Lagosian. I grew up in the city. I was educated there and went on to practice as a lawyer there. I'm therefore in a position to speak with some knowledge about the state, but more importantly, with a lot of passion. My confidence for the future of Lagos State, and indeed Nigeria, is rooted very strongly in my memory of the past. There have been very difficult years in that past. In the 80s and in the 90s, we saw great political upheaval. Democracy was curtailed. Investments were stalled. The authorities failed to build schools, hospitals, roads, and additional water supply and waste management facilities. All of these were needed at the time to keep pace with the growing population. Indeed, between the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s, the population of Lagos State was estimated to have exploded from about 500,000 people to over 5 million people. In the absence of new infrastructure, which was required to keep pace with the demands of the people, frustration set in, hope diminished, and many of the brightest and the best emigrated to other countries, including the United Kingdom. I recall that the very first set of professionals to leave were the medical doctors, out of frustration about their inability to function in hospitals that had no power supply and their own unwillingness to continue to watch patients lose their lives in circumstances that were clearly avoidable. In that period, I was an occasional visitor here on summer holidays. But for some reason, my faith in the ability of my country and our future were too strong to keep me away from home, even though some of my close friends and even siblings left to go abroad. Another reason, of course, was that I was old enough to remember a time before that time. In the 1960s and in the 70s, we enjoyed stability and prosperity. The schools that I attended were good ones, and they were all Nigerian schools. The electricity worked. I knew that when I went to the bus stop, there was a public transport system that was reliable and predictable. The bus number 88 from Yaba to Sule in my neighborhood would turn up reliably every half an hour on my way to school and back from school. But during the bad years of the 80s and 90s, there were plenty of physical signs of decline. Roads that were badly maintained and increasingly clogged with traffic. Schools where class sizes became too big for even the best teachers to cope to be able to give young people the education that they deserved. But the most important change was in the attitude of the people. In the 60s and the 70s, there was a spirit of optimism. People looked forward to their city becoming steadily better, to their lives becoming more prosperous, to their ambitions being fulfilled, their talents properly used. They looked out for each other, and they valued integrity and honesty. There was a culture of hard work, and the dignity that came with industry. That spirit became eroded. The military who took over government were not trained to manage by persuasion or debate. They did their best, but it was not enough. What the country needed was a government based on freedom and rooted in the ideas in which they could participate. 
This was what our democratic experience has brought on since 1999. In this new millennium, we in Lagos have turned another corner. And when I became governor in 2007, I was determined that we would fully recover the attitude which I remembered from my own young years in the 1960s and in the 70s. I realized that, like many of my generation, we had been too detached from government and public office to fully appreciate how much we were needed by the process. I was convinced that the quickest way to achieve a turnaround was to persuade people, especially professionals and our brightest brains, about the nobility and values of public service. And secondly, to restore hope to our people that all was not lost and that everything was possible. I think that I can say very confidently that these two objectives have been largely realized. Our government in Lagos State has the record of being the most efficient in the country today because of the quality of personnel it keeps and continues to attract from within and outside the country. It has the highest record of budget performance in the public sector of not less than 70% every year since 2007. And the people of Lagos have found a new reason to believe again. And they speak of their state with a lot of pride and a can-do spirit. Indeed, we have exploded many myths. The refuse has disappeared. The broken transport is being fixed. New taxes have returned to lend support to the public transport system. And intracity rail transport is under construction and visible for all to see. Cinemas are returning. New malls are opening. A state that shut down at 7 p.m. in the past because of darkness and insecurity now has a new light knife with street lights and policemen on a 24-hour motorized patrol in many parts. Hope has been restored and it has become our most important building block for constructing the future. There were big challenges on the way, the rebuilding of the fiscal infrastructure of the state and our work is far from finished. But the greatest challenge was to rebuild the mental infrastructure of the people to the values of which our society was originally founded. We decided to pursue the old well-beaten path, to return to hard work, to plan, to pursue diligently with belief in our abilities, to seek knowledge wherever we could find it, to compete against the best, to set very high standards, and never be afraid to fail. For us, failure is only a momentary setback from which many lessons can be learned. We are not there yet because there are still sceptics and unacceptable levels of need. There is a difficult global economic environment from which we are not immune. But with the commitment of the very talented and hardworking team who support me, and some of them are here in the front row, we are doing our best to bring on the change that the majority of our people now feel is within touching distance. I have been described as a technocrat. Indeed, I don't mind that description if it means that I am committed to efficiency and to getting things done. And there is certainly room for that kind of commitment in Nigeria. Management of time has become like a religion for me. Time is one of the many resources we have to work with. Unlike other resources, however, lost or wasted time is irreplaceable. Once it is gone, 
you look on to what you can have in the future. But yesterday is gone. Never again to return in our lives. And that is why time for us is a very valuable resource. Indeed, one of the first things I did when I became governor was to insist that our meetings on time, was to insist that our meetings start on time. I made it compulsory that members of the Executive Council, some of them are here, that is the commissioners and my special advisors, arrived on time so that our Monday agenda setting meeting began promptly at 9 a.m. Not 10 past 9, not 9.30, but 9 o'clock on the dot. Indeed, on one occasion, after a very late working night, I had to come to an early morning meeting on Monday without taking a shower. Yes, showering is important. But punctuality in my book is even more important. I knew that if I was ever late, it would be hard, if not impossible for me, to persuade others to arrive on time. But don't worry about that, Lily. I, I don't make a habit of skipping my ablutions. <laughs> I took a shower before I came here today. <laughs> really, but being a technocrat is not enough. You have to have a vision. Our vision is firmly rooted in those values which I have described. Hard work, diligence, commitment, a can-do spirit. And we are determined to pass this on to the next generation of Lagosians. When I was young, like other people my age, I was encouraged to join the Boy Scouts. Bodies like the Scouts, the Boys Brigade, and the Red Cross do an enormous amount of good work in teaching young people the values of service, teamwork, and leadership. I'm proud that our government has revived these organizations in all of our public schools today. Indeed, Lagos may be a mega city, but its future depends on the individual effort of each citizen. If we capture the hearts and minds of those individual citizens when they are young, we have the opportunity to make a huge difference for the future. And Lagos is a city-state of young people. We mirror the demographic profile of Nigeria as a whole. About 70% of the population of the country are below 40 years old. It means we have the qualities of youthfulness, energy, and enterprise that any developing nation requires. It also means that there is a good proportion of people in the workforce earning money and paying taxes to support those who have retired. Contrast Nigeria, the biggest country in Africa, with China, the biggest country in the world. China has accomplished a great deal in recent years. Its progress has been remarkable and its growth rate has been extraordinarily high. But in the coming decades, I predict that China faces a real problem because they have pursued their one-child policy for too long. Their workforce is aging and the proportion of retired people to those in work has been steadily rising. That is a problem that Nigeria, with our young dynamic population, simply doesn't have. Nigeria has great natural resources, land, forests, oil, gas, bitumen, coal, cocoa, coal, and very plentiful supplies of water. Even more importantly, we have immense human resources in our population of over 150 million people, and we are achieving an economic growth rate of almost 7% per annum, which is the envy of most other countries in the world. 
But let me at this stage share with you some details of what we are doing in Lagos to contribute to this growth. If you have had the pleasure of visiting Lagos in the past, you may have had rather longer than you intended to take, to take in the attractions of some parts of the city because you were stuck in the traffic. <laughs> we have made road building a major priority. In the past three and a half years as a city-state, we have built more roads than two of our neighboring countries, Ghana and Syria alone, and the need is yet to be fully satisfied because of our population size. What makes that achievement even more significant is the nature of our topography. Lagos is a very low-lying area, sitting close to the Atlantic Ocean. When you build close to the coast, almost 70% of the cost goes into cement and iron rods to construct the drainages. The route of the new Lagos to Badagri Expressway, a road expansion of 10 lanes over a stretch of 60 kilometers, for instance, goes through marshland. That means drainage which is three feet deep and three feet wide. But we have overcome the problems, and the road construction is now well underway. The old rickety yellow buses are becoming a thing of the past. Indeed, I intend to keep some of them where they belong, in a transport museum, to remind the next generation where we came from. Because we now have a fleet of over a thousand new buses driven by a team of over 1,200 professionals, some of whom have returned from overseas. We are simultaneously constructing an intercity rail system, the first phase of which will run for 27 kilometers, and if we finish on schedule, it will become the first intercity rail in the whole of the West African sub-region. Reliable and fast transport is only one of the many assets that this project will offer our people and visitors who come for business or leisure. We are also constructing a free trade zone. I think Mark Edo showed you some of the snippets of that, which will be serviced by a deep sea port and an adjacent airport. And when it is finally and fully built, it may end up being the biggest free zone in Africa, something four times the size of Manhattan. Another essential aspect of any city, whether mega or micro, is that it should be clean and green. For a long time, Lagos was neither. It was known for its dirtiness and could best be described as a concrete jungle. Indeed, one Nigerian leader described Lagos as a concrete jungle, but I think he has had to eat his words. But we are well on the way to transforming that image. We have managed to establish a great many green parks and open spaces for good health, a clean environment, and for giving our young people the chance for sport and recreation as well. We are now recognized as the cleanest state in Nigeria, and experts from other states beat a regular path to adopt to find out how we turn things around. The short answer is through the entrepreneurial vision of our people. People like Jojo Lewa, a lady who works as a street sweeper. Before now, she was homeless and jobless. The Lagos State Government awarded her a franchise to sweep her own area of the city. She now employs over 100 people to do it. She has also earned enough to rent her own apartment and take her children off the streets. Meanwhile, our waste managers have bought over 4,000 modern compactor trucks 
to keep on top of the rubbish which a mega city like Lagos inevitably produces. One of the huge challenges that we still face is to provide enough decent affordable housing for our expanding population. Lagos is growing faster than many other cities in the world and the space is not unlimited. But we have undertaken two measures to help people get a roof over their heads that they can afford. First, we are developing a comprehensive mortgage system to make more residents homeowners. I have seen here in Britain the benefits of homeownership to the quality of life, and I am determined that Lagos should move in that same direction. Secondly, we have just enacted a new tenancy law that protects the rights of tenants and landlords. You might be surprised to know that until now, Lagosians renting a house for the first time had to pay a two full years rent up front, even though they earned their salaries monthly in arrears. Even sitting tenants had to pay a year ahead. The new law reduces the amount of rent a landlord can demand up front by at least half. Another major challenge has been healthcare. We have developed a pilot community health insurance model, which we are gradually expanding. This takes account of the particular nature of our population. The majority of our people work in the informal sector of the economy, where incomes tend to be low and irregular, and where few have bank accounts. We have encouraged citizens to pay insurance contributions in return for a guarantee that they will be looked after if they fall ill. The scheme is based on global best practices and is being steadily rolled out to the whole population. So health transport, the environment, and housing are all big priorities. But when I embarked on my second tenure earlier this year, I put another issue right at the top of the list, law and order. That is a precondition for us to achieve all our aims and aspirations. We have made progress. We have a security model, the Lagos State Security Trust Fund. It has released far more resources to the police than any other instrumentality of government, and it has become a blueprint in Nigeria for other states to implement. We have reduced crime generally and violent crimes significantly, but crime fighting and prevention remains a continuous work in progress. I want to see a society in which everyone plays by the rules, in business and in their private lives alike, where people pay their taxes, drive in the proper lanes, build only where regulations say you can build, and a society where all these rules apply just as much to the rich as they do to the poor. As we deal with all these issues, we appreciate the help that we have had from the international community, and in particular from the Department for International Development in Britain. Today's event in this beautiful hall is just the latest example of the close cooperation we have enjoyed with the British people and their government. Yes, we are proud to be Lagosians and Nigerians, but we are not inward-looking. We value international contacts and particularly the chance to trade internationally. In this year alone, like in the recent past, I have been host to a number of high-ranking British officials, the Prime Minister, Mr. David Cameron, the Minister of State for Immigration, Mr. Damien Green, the Secretary of State for International Development, Mr. Andrew Mitchell, and the Lord Mayor of London, Alderman Michael Baird, all of which speak to the commitment on both sides of the Atlantic to improve trade and sociocultural and other relations.
Nigeria has long ties with Britain. Many aspects of our society, our democracy, our education, our legal system are very close to British models. There are many Nigerians settled and working in Britain as there are Brightons working and living in Lagos and in other parts of Nigeria. Indeed, my government has a Brighton in our employment who is helping out with our youth and sports development. Nigeria as a country and Lagos as a state offer huge opportunity to British investors. Lagos, incidentally, now has the largest economy of any sub-region in Africa. Like the British government, we are strong believers in public-private partnerships. I also look forward to partnerships in the area of education, and I am hopeful that a university like Oxford can develop a partnership overseas with our state university and offer the same quality of training and certification in an institution based in Lagos. They are essential to our vision of the mega city of the future. So we do everything that we can to encourage international institutions who seek to expand to a new and emerging economy to partner with us as we build a new future. I do hope that Lagos can become something of a role model for the rest of our continent. Today, we generate 70% of our resources ourselves, and we have done that not by increasing taxes, but by increasing our tax take. When I became governor, the tax burden fell almost entirely on those in public sector and in large companies, where tax was deducted as sourced from their paid salaries. Large numbers of people in smaller companies, some of them quite wealthy as well, were able to avoid tax. We have tightened that up very considerably so that tax burden is now fairer and the public funds are greater. And the response we have had has probably surprised me more than anything I have seen in my time as governor. It's been on the whole very positive. People have actually come to ask us how they can pay. That is remarkable. What it illustrates is that so long as Lagosians can see their taxes at work, so long as they see new roads, hospitals, and schools being built, they are proud to play their own part in providing the resources that we need to do the work. In Lagos and in Nigeria, we have watched closely the remarkable events of the past year taking place in the Middle East, and in particular to the north of us in Libya. As your Prime Minister said in Lagos recently, and I quote him, the future of Africa is yours, but you have to seize it. He went on, I hope that with the Arab Spring, the countries of North Africa and other parts of the Arab world can look to countries like Nigeria and cities like Lagos for inspiration. End of quote. I say to that that we live in a global community. As a consequence, countries as diverse as the United Kingdom and Nigeria share many of the same problems. There is one sense in which we are perhaps becoming closer. Anyone in public life in either country is all too aware of the low esteem in which politicians are held. It will take a long time to change public perceptions, but I happen to believe that politics is an honorable calling. The opportunity to serve the people is the greatest honor that anybody can have. And if the people you are serving belong to the community where you grew up, and I've lived your whole life. That makes the job for me even more worthwhile. I admit that the role can be exhausting. I haven't taken a holiday since I was first elected in 2007. 
There have been many late nights and early mornings, but I am fortunate in having a very patient and supportive family and a very dedicated team to work with. As for the rewards, they are immense. When you can see the difference that your policies are making, we're fortunate to be living in extraordinary times, times when change is perhaps faster and more profound than ever before. Amidst all of these challenges, amidst the challenges that they pose for us, there are great opportunities. Opportunities for transforming people's lives for the better. And that is what I am determined to do in the next four years. Not the least of the rewards that go with my role is the chance to come to places like this and to exchange views with people with a great interest, a wealth of knowledge about Africa, like yourselves. So distinguished ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you once again, very, very sincerely, for inviting me here and also for your kind and patient attention. Thank you. I am done.